G'day everybody, I'm Glenn Hill. And I'm Jacob Meyer. Welcome to the Tactical Tennis Podcast. And in today's episode, we're going to start to dive a little more deeply into strength, the strength part of strength and conditioning. I love strength and conditioning. (laughs) Well, who doesn't? (laughs) But I think it's an area that most people, even a lot of players on the professional tour for both men's and women's, have a fairly poor understanding on the role that strength and conditioning really plays, strength specifically, and also how to strength train effectively. Yeah, I mean, there's a long history of this in tennis. Like, I say that I love it um, kind of jokingly, but I mean, I do. I mean, you know how early and how long I've been doing this stuff. But it surprised me to learn these stories back in the day of like McEnroe and Connors and that whole generation and all the generations before them that really didn't use systematic strength and conditioning the way that we know it today. Right. And that was not abnormal in that time for athletes who weren't directly involved in a, in a strength sport such as weightlifting or Olympic lifting. Back then, it was rare for athletes to use supplemental training outside of their actual sport in order to improve their performance. But in the years since, we've seen a massive adoption of strength training in virtually every professional sport even sports that don't necessarily on the surface require a as much as uh, an obvious sport like tennis might we've seen a a huge increase in the strength conditioning in professional golfers and bowlers and table tennis players and fencers and all these other sports where it might not seem obvious right away and Dude, table tennis is hard. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, I know that it's hard and you know that it's hard. But I think if we look at the average table tennis player, we wouldn't think, man, that person's like physically strong, right? Or that that's not maybe immediately obvious that they're in the gym lifting weights. But it is in this day and age, it's impossible to compete at at an elite level without some degree of strength training particularly if you want to compete in elite level and not hurt yourself constantly yeah no and that's and that's, that's a, not a sort of reference in the curious at all <laughs> great i'm glad i'm glad we already started on that i'm sure there'll be more of that to come but <laughs> um it it's you know i'm joking about table tennis right because if you just like go watch like olympic table tennis then the guys are just flying all over the place and I mean, you know that I'm actually not a very good player, but, you know, it's it's fun to think that, you know, you can do kind of like one thing like them. There's this sense in which I think that the general public, right, that isn't that has never seen like real table tennis being played has the same kind of or a similar kind of outlook on tennis in general. Like it's this sort of like, you know, stand around and hit the ball sort of gentleman sport. Well, I would say more that it's an endurance sport that the tennis players just are, are great at running a lot, right? Well, I think tennis players know that. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I mean, this is a curious one. I should probably like get on Facebook to some of the big groups and just ask like a bunch of random like you know casual tennis fans what they think about this because right. I, this well, isn't that, I will that... tell you because I, I actually have had those conversations with a lot of fairly casual tennis fans and and the perception is that tennis players are very quote unquote fit but not that they're particularly strong you know that they could go out and and run for miles but not that they're really the perception is not that they're that explosive or that strong or powerful 
is is what I've noticed uh, the way that people look at it. That's interesting. But, I think they, they I think they used to be that way, and it used to be when they tested professional tennis players in order to compare them against other professional athletes of other sports. A lot of the physiological markers that scientists would test essentially they would end up getting put in a category similar to like a low level long distance runner okay that's actually where they scored now not everyone right but that's where generally they scored this is important though because now i mean if you're playing tennis now you watch some tennis right or you get some lessons or you learn from other people around you who are definitely watching tennis on TV. And if you're watching tennis on TV, then you're watching Nick Kyrgios, you're watching Rafa Nadal, you're watching Novak Djokovic, you're watching Roger Federer. I mean, just answer me this one question. How fast are these guys swinging the racket? I'm hoping you're not asking me to answer that question. I am asking you. Like, how fast are they actually swinging? Very, very fast. I mean, that, that racket's moving along at a very high velocity. Right. And how fast is Rafa running on the court? Very fast. And stopping literally on a dime, right? So the forces that are involved in tennis now are huge forces. And no matter when you learned or how you learned, the culture of tennis is influencing you to play the game in a way that requires more and more strength every year that goes by. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so once we start to understand how important strength is in the realm of tennis, because it affects so many different aspects of performance, we should find ways or improve our knowledge on how to strength train better. Because probably a lot of the people that are listening are doing workouts in some degree um, and look, today we're not going to be prescriptive and, and tell you like this is what your workout plan should be. But what we are going to do is hopefully give you some tools with which to plan better workouts for yourself. Or if you are working with a personal trainer to go to them and say, this is maybe some of the direction that I want to go in or this is I would like to influence my training in this direction. Um, and that way we can improve our on-core performance. But to do that, I, I think the first question that we should ask ourselves is, why does strength and conditioning work? Because if we don't understand just even on a basic level why we get fitter and stronger when we work out, then it, you know it's hard to understand all the stuff that follows after that. Yeah, that's a good point. So on, a, on the most basic level, if we use resistance training, which we think of as strength and conditioning work, right? We use some sort of challenge or stress to our system and we actually stress our bodies out Mm -hmm. and then there's some time to recover and then after that recovery your system has to react has to react to the thing that happened to it beforehand so it actually starts to make adaptations right right and that's important because really when we think about the human body it's it's a system that's designed to adapt to a lot of different environments and circumstances and and there's a lot of kind of built in to the human body a lot of of mechanisms by which we can adapt 
and and so without that that adaptation thing doesn't happen but let me just recap this here so we stress our body somehow we provide a stress we recover from that stress and then as a result of that our body's going to adapt that's right so we want to be specific and precise about how we stress our systems which is to say how do we do strength and conditioning work how do we exercise right we want to have a plan the same way you want to have a plan when you get on the tennis court if you want to win matches if you want to exercise just because you know it feels good and i don't really care if i ever get any better then that's great keep it up right but you probably don't want to listen to the rest of this if that's not you then you want to be really specific about how are we stressing our system and what are we trying to get from that and it should be coherent the same way that a game plan for jumping on the court should be so would it be fair to say would this make sense that the more that i stress my body the longer it's going to take to recover and the longer it takes to recover then you know as a result of that greater stress i'm going to have a greater adaptation it seems like that would be pretty fair to say yeah I mean, certainly bigger stresses lead to bigger adaptations. The part that people usually skip is you can't just stress all the time, right? There has to be time in order for adaptations to actually adapt. Right. One of the best ways I, I that really was a light bulb moment for me was, and I can't remember where I heard this first, but... The statement that you don't get fitter and stronger from working out, you get fitter and stronger from recovering from working out. And suddenly that was that was that moment where I was like, wait a minute, yeah, because if I don't allow my body to recover, then it's not going to, I don't get that adaptation that I'm shooting for, or I get a lessened version of that adaptation. Like it's my, uh, my body's ability to adapt is impaired or hindered by not giving it the full recovery that it needed. And so that to me was a light bulb moment, especially, you know, as I wasn't 20 anymore, you start getting into your 30s and approaching 40 or, or you know, now I'm 41. And it, it, that was a, a moment where it made me stop and reconsider how I was scheduling my workouts and making sure that I was getting the recovery that I needed. And, and that had a really positive impact for me. And, and one of the other things I think that's important for people to understand if we talk about the stress recover adaptation cycle is that when you first, if you haven't ever trained before at all, it's very easy to stress your body. And since it's very easy to stress your body, you recover fairly quickly and you're going to adapt pretty quickly. As you get closer and closer and closer to the limits of what your body might be capable of, then it, it, gets, it requires more and more stress to force an adaptation. And, and so, whereas if the first time you go in the gym, you might get on and do a bench press, just as a simple example, and, and the next time you go and do a bench press, you're already able to do a heavier bench press. And, and that you might gain in, on your bench press every single time you go into the gym for several months, potentially. Those whereas really if you good take, days. If you take, I know, right? But if you take somebody who's a very experienced, very strong lifter, they might literally have to build a program that lasts one or two months of building up stress in a particular way in order to obtain a relatively small gain on their bench. As in they might have to do a, a planned cycle of lifting that lasts a month in order to go up on their bench by five pounds or three pounds. 
um, right. when you start getting to the very high end because that it takes so much more stress to adapt when your body has already adapted in massive and long-term ways. That's right. And, and this is a pretty simple concept. I mean, if, if, you, if you take it to the tennis court, you think if you're a, a reasonable level player, let's say you've been playing tennis for 10 years, um, you know how to surf. I'm sure when you started, your surf got better, faster and faster and faster, right? But after 10 years, I mean, do you really think, oh, I'm going to go out this weekend, I'm going to work on my serve, and I'm going to serve five miles an hour harder every weekend for the next 20 weekends? I mean, that's not how it works, right? We all understand sure. this concept intuitively. Um, I'm glad you brought it up, though, especially because our, our last podcast, we talked a little bit about some other aspects of strength and this touches on one of the reasons that a lot of the pros still really struggle with strength and conditioning programming because they're already very, very fit. And so in a very serious and real way, it's just not that easy for guys that are that fit to get even stronger and even more fit. It's actually right. really challenging. And to do that while you're playing a full ATP schedule is like really hard, right? That's where it requires a team or it requires to be the second obsession of your life, which might have a negative impact on your tennis, right? So that aside, um, let, well, let's just... Yeah, also, just just on that note too, really quickly, if you're, if you're traveling constantly and you're playing in tournaments every week or every second week, trying to find space in there to provide the stress necessary to adapt is also hard because you know along with that stress then comes the need to recover and that can impact your performance and so that's that's another aspect i think that the professional players really struggle to juggle uh, rhyming not intended but maybe let's talk a little <laughs> bit then about where increased strength performance actually comes from because the way that i think about it there's there's three ways three areas in which we might have increased strength so if we take a basic exercise like squatting and maybe we can use uh, a back squat as the framework in which we might discuss this okay well i like talking about i like that we use back squatting as a framework because a lot of people probably still don't squat and it's really good for you if you don't you should learn how to and you should do more research about this um Agreed. one of the things that you mentioned before was the scheduling and the way to schedule all these things in to, I mean, your life, right? Like you have a job, we do all of this stuff. Um, you know, we have a lot going on. And so the scheduling can be really challenging. And that's the biggest challenge that we have with guys that really, really want to do well and get super good at this is how to schedule it. So in order to understand how to schedule it, you should understand what's actually happening. Okay. Um, so if I ask you, where does increased strength performance actually come from? What's the first thing that you think of? Uh, so if we put this in the context of the back squat, like we, we mentioned uh, just a, a moment ago, there's the first area, and this isn't quite the the way that I think about it in terms of the, the first thing that comes to mind, but the first area that we're going to see immediate improvement in is just from technique. Because if you haven't, let's take somebody who's never back squatted before. Well, 
just by learning the technique and improving your technique, you'll be able to lift more weight because you're improving your biomechanical efficiency. Right? I mean, if I try to do a back squat with a horrible technique and my knees are buckling in and my weight's on my toes, uh, you know, without changing anything about my actual physical body, if I improve that biomechanical position in terms of my, my knee positioning and where my weight is back more on my heels, I'm going to immediately be able to, to, to lift more weight. And so that's the first area where we can, we can see strength performance gaining. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. The second one to me is improve neuromuscular function. Because any time that we do anything with our bodies, our brain is recruiting muscles to perform tasks. And the way that it recruits those muscles and the way that it tries to integrate, especially once we start talking about multi-joint compound movements like a back squat where I'm, I'm bending my ankles, my knees, my hips... Uh, there's a lot of different muscle groups that are involved and they're, they're working in sequences. And so the better my brain is able to tell those muscles when to turn on and when to turn off and how quickly to do things and integrate all those different moving pieces, then the better I'm going to be able to perform the movement. That's right. There's also this basic idea that, you know, movement is brain-based. And in order to move say, something bigger, or in order to produce more force, that's a brain-based function. So your brain has to be able to recruit its muscles better. And it has to be able to recruit more of them in some circumstances in order for you to make more force. So even in the most simple of movements, Right, Not just on what we can think of as sort of, in some sense, complex movements like the squat, right? But even on, on like the most simple isolation exercise you can think of, your brain still has to actually learn how to recruit better and recruit more in order for you to get stronger. Yes, absolutely. And so that's the second area. And then... So what happens with a new lifter is they learn the basic technique and then even over time when, you, when you're no longer even a beginning lifter, you still have the opportunity for improvement in your performance in the back squat by improving technique because there's, there's very few human beings out there who have perfect squatting technique. And then the secondary, and this is where we see the really big gains in terms of actual like a physical function, right? Because look, if I improve my squatting technique, there's, there's a way in which that might not directly impact my ability to do other things so improving my positions in my squat won't won't necessarily immediately make me better at changing direction you know when i'm running out to my right hit a forehand to stop and then turn around and run back the other way changing my squat technique might not help me with that movement right but when we start talking about once i get the framework for squatting in place then my body starts to actually change we start then i start actually stressing my body allowing it to recover and, and the adaptations start occurring and so what happens with beginners is they see this massive increase in strength immediately because of the improved neuromuscular function the muscles aren't actually really getting a whole lot stronger at first um, certainly the the performance gain is disproportionate to the amount of f- like functional increase in the muscle 
or changes in the muscle, but we can have huge improvements in our neuromuscular function or our brain's ability to recruit muscles to do a task. And so we see this massive increase in performance very quickly from that, like these beginner gains, so to speak. And, and then once we start getting to a point where this, the gains of the neuromuscular start slowing down, we'll start to see increases in the actual mass of the muscle where our body is building new muscle mass in order to be able to handle the increased loads. That's right. That, well, that's assuming that you want more muscle mass, right? Or that you keep improving, you keep increasing your strength. Eventually, if you're efficient enough, then you're going to have to increase your muscle mass in order to get more strength. Right. Um, okay, so that sounded like three. Am I? That's three. That's, that's three. Yes, so, so that is three. three three sort of basic categories of where does your increased strength performance come from better neuromuscular function, right? Which is really Mm -hmm. like your brain gets better, right? Better technique, better biomechanical efficiency for those, um, and increases in the actual size of your muscle. Yes. Not missing one. Great. So, what makes this so important? Like, where do you find like people go wrong about this? Like, what, wh- which one of these things are they missing? Like, wh- what do, what do we just assume when we jump into the gym and guys are like, oh yeah, I work out three times a week and I'm playing tennis every weekend, but I haven't been getting better for the last three or four years. Right. So there's, there's a few ways in which people tend to make these mistakes. And I think that but largely they fall into into one of two categories. And the first category is that they're not really providing a sufficient stress to their bodies to force an adaptation. And, and the way in which that happens is people either go into the gym and, you know, they, they jump on the treadmill and they run a little while and they get on, you know, the leg extension machine and they do, you know, some leg extension reps and then they jump over and they do some lap pull downs and they're kind of all over the place and they do just a a small handful of sets or or sometimes even a lot of sets but at really light weights and light reps and you know they work up a little bit of a sweat and and uh, they get their heart rate up for a while right because they're jumping and they're doing circuit training and it's all they're moving 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 but at no point have they really provided enough resistance to the muscle groups that they're working for that muscle to actually have to adapt. Like their heart's working hard, pumping blood out everywhere, but the muscles themselves aren't, aren't adapting because they're not getting strained hard enough. Um, and then along those same lines, you see people who go in to do strength training, and but they do really light weights, and they might even do weights where they're, you know, they're training you know, let's say they squat, but they squat really light weights and they squat to exhaustion and they've worked very hard. Um, but there's a way in which, look, if, if I have the capacity to back squat 200 pounds, let's just say as an, as a nice round number, and I go into the gym and I do a bunch of reps every day at 50 pounds, well, then I'm not really going to provide the stress needed for my body to adapt to lifting 250 pounds. Like you don't, you don't get from 200 to 250 pounds by lifting weights at, at, 50, at 50. Yeah, well, <laughs> that would be impressive, I suppose, if you can do that. <laughs> please, please. Or impossible. I, mean, I don't know. You, you Send me an that. email and let me know how you did it. I would love to learn in all my and years. And I think maybe more importantly, that look, maybe that's perfectly possible, but the time frame on which that happens would have to be 
pretty crazily long, right? Have I mean, to that's be really not slow. exactly yeah. a good way to go about it. So what do you, what do you think that the other the other way that people mess up in the gym is, Jacob? Man, I mean, there's so many ways. Obviously, um, fundamentally, it seems like to me we just don't understand what is really happening in there. It seems like most of us miss the brain-based component of lifting. Um, So we either just go in and we do some routine that we're comfortable with, something that we learned years ago, and it's like, well, this is the way I like to work out. You know, I don't like to work out in other ways. Um, And we just stick with that. And then eventually you get frustrated because, I mean, let's be honest, right? Like how many people don't want to improve? Right. I mean, if you've been working out for five years and you're hardly any better after the last four and a half years, it, I feel like it's a matter of time before people get frustrated. Um, right. And then the other aspect of that is not understanding the, the brain-based nature of strength training. I think we really underestimate the importance of the technique. Mm. Um and there's, I mean, there's, look, there's tons and tons of strength coaches and like every one of my buddies who's a strength coach is of course going to be, um, supposedly a Nazi when it comes to technique, but mm-hmm. you know, there really is a sense in which it's so extremely important. Um, and it still gets underestimated. I think, you know, even by the people who make it their job. So a lot depends on identifying where you are. If like, if you're just starting to exercise and you've not been someone who ever goes to the gym, or if you were a college athlete and you've stayed active for the last 20 years and you've, you know, you're in the gym every week and you feel like, well, I really know what I'm doing. Um, you know, both of those people still have to get enough of a focus on the technique, um, so that they're making the appropriate kinds of gains that they that are essentially going to keep us happy, right? Sure. Um, yeah, that's interesting because that why the other thing that I was thinking of is people that just go too gung ho and they don't allow for the recovery part of the stress recovery adaptation cycle. You know, where they're just they're in the gym every day, and and you're, they're leaving a lot of gains on the table in performance by not allowing their body enough time to actually recover. And look, oh, yeah. we've we've seen that from you know if we look at like Dominic Team, for example, where he hasn't even allowed his body to recover from matches <laughs> two seasons. You know, for the last two seasons. <laughs> yeah, like like you know he's it's forget the training. Like he's playing so many matches that his body can't even recover, and yeah. that's impacted his performance, you know, towards the latter part of the year. And so I, I just think that like the recovery part, especially for those podcast listeners who aren't, you know, in in their teens or early twenties, if you are thirty five, if you are forty or fifty, the recovery becomes so much more important to me as as you start to get a little bit older. Well, let um, me just I I'm, let me interrupt right there because. I think that's how we generally think about it. And in some sense, that's right. But the recovery's always been important, right? Oh, absolutely. It, that's, absolutely. That's let, like... me, let, me, let me rephrase this slightly. Let me, maybe I think I can, I can hedge off at the past year for a moment. I think that recovery has always been, been important. I think it's always important to be making a, a note of how you're feeling, how you're performing, looking for dips in performance, and noticing when you're not recovering enough. 
what I'm trying to say, I think, is that my I need more time to recover now at 41 than I needed when I was 20. And also that when I don't recover or when I don't allow myself enough recovery, I feel the impacts of that more quickly and more severely than I did when I was 20. Yes, that's def- that's definitely true. You feel the impacts more severely. And look, I mean, we could spend hours going into that stuff because you know that that gets into the fields that I specialize in working with some of these guys. But the the point is that the recovery has always, always been important, right? It, this, yes. this reminds me a lot of a conversation that I've had with a couple of guys on the tour that were also really good college players. And mm-hmm. they joke around because now they're 30. And they're like, man, when I was 20, like I could go out drinking and just be absolutely hammered and hung over in the morning and wake up and play a match and beat a guy that's like top 20 in the country. And I just can't do that anymore. And it's like, okay, yeah, so you won that match. That's great. You were a better player than your opponent was. Let's not confuse you getting away with that with the fact that you went drinking out all night still affected you, right? Right. And the other guy might have done the same thing. How could you have been if you had like Kevin Anderson's work ethic and system to like do everything in a professional manner? Like you probably could have been twice as good as you were, right? So that was holding you back without you realizing it. You probably were just satisfied with, I don't want to call it your achievements, but satisfied with your level and with what you were getting out of yourself at that time. Mm. So like you said, the recovery is always important. The recovery is always a part of it. That's what's required in order for us to get appropriate adaptations the challenge is, I think, when we're young, we especially have the tendency to push more, 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 because you kind of can get away with it, and because you don't necessarily have the sensitivity and the awareness to feel things coming on. Right, and and you're gaining, like you're still getting gains, you're still getting improvement in performance, and you don't have the experience and knowledge to understand that you could be getting even more gains in performance if you were allowing yourself sufficient recovery yeah so the the example that i look at right here is you know dominic team like you mentioned is a fantastic young player who might not be managing this very well i'm gonna be kind and say it that way okay just let me have it okay um (laughs) but uh i i think if we look at sasha zverev the first real big guy that joined his team was Jez Green, who specializes in this stuff. Sasha's 20 years old, and he seems to be managing it very, very well. So every right. year he's getting significantly stronger. At the end of the season here, at the end of the season, at the World Tour Finals, when guys are pulling out left and right because everyone is beat to hell, Sasha Zverev shows up and has the biggest serving performance of his career. Right. Right. Like he's just going up when everyone else is getting tired. So you look at that and you think, oh, man, like he's probably managing things differently. Right. So he's the guy that I point to to say, I mean, look, like you could have been doing that in the past. The truth is we just didn't. Right. So anyway, I don't want to get too far off there. Um, But to me, this whole concept of of pushing too hard and not leaving in recovery 
that falls under one of the problems that we have when we don't understand what is actually making the changes. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. How am I actually getting better? If you understand that your brain needs time to learn what you did in the gym to get better at it, then you don't get so confused and you think, oh, well, I did 10 sets of this with this weight and I got a little stronger. So if I do that again as much as possible, I'm just going to keep getting stronger. No, no, no. That's not the process. That's not how it works, right? Like we don't say, oh, one slice of pizza was good. So now I'm going to have 300 slices of pizza. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's that's a short road to diabetes. I mean, if that's your, if that's your goal. <laughs> yeah, you get lots of problems for that. And like that's a short road to diabetes. Also, I mean, if you just go into the gym and you just go, oh, I'm just going to push myself as hard as I can, like that's a short road to lots of injuries, lots of bad stuff. And frankly, just to losing tennis matches or even worse, not even being able to play tennis matches. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's your, that's overtraining and, and that's a well-documented. I mean, you might take months to recover if you reach a, a serious state of overtraining. But um, part of part of the thing that plays a role in recovery and your body's ability to build new muscle mass is your nutrition. And I think maybe we'd be remiss if we didn't just talk about this very, very briefly before we move on to how getting stronger directly impacts your tennis performance. Okay. And so what are what are kind of the big picture guidelines for nutrition when it comes to gaining strength or losing strength and gaining muscle mass or losing muscle mass? Well, I'm just let me let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> I I like the way you phrased it because the the first thing that I think people have to take a look at is are they even connecting the dots between their nutrition and their exercise in the gym? And what they want out of their tennis game. Mm. Right? Like, is that even happening? So if you're working out and say lifting heavy and you're trying to get better at tennis, but you think, oh, you know, I, I'm gonna let myself uh, I'm gonna let myself just kinda be relaxed when eating. I'm not worried about it. Well, if I'm eating, you know, three hundred slices of pizza and having cheesecake on the weekends, the side effect of that by not caring about that nutrition is that I'm taking in a lot of fuel that if I combine it with lifting heavy in the gym is going to end up making me gain a lot of weight. And that's going to impact your tennis game whether you want it to or not. The question is, sure. are you doing that in a planned fashion and is it going to impact your game in a way that you want it to impact your game? Right. So, and, and along with that, like let's say that I am working out, I'm going to the gym, I'm lifting heavy, I'm running, I'm doing all these things that I should be doing from a training perspective, but then I'm also like, you know, I want to lean up and get a six pack and you under fueling yourself. Well, then that's going to have two, two facets. One is that you're not going to recover the way that you should. Like you, when you look at a stress recover adaptation cycle, you're, you're, you're lengthening the recovery portion of it, right? Or, or alternatively, you're just not going to actually allow yourself the recovery portion and the second part of it is like you're if you're under fueling your body's going to start consuming itself in order to keep producing energy to do the things that you're doing and so yes you're going to lose fat but you're also going to simultaneously start to break down muscle mass and that's counterproductive 
And so balancing your, your caloric intake and, and the types of calories that you, you eat are important. So, so let's maybe just in, in quick broad strokes, let's lay out the kind of the general rules for like, what do I, what should I be aiming for roughly if I'm trying to, um, say gain, gain some strength, but with minimal mass increase? If I just want to get stronger, I mean, like this is where I am right now in my life, right? Like I need to get stronger again because I've had a couple of years of not getting stronger. Um, but I don't want to get bigger. My nutrition should stay pretty consistent to where it is, right? Mm-hmm. And what should happen is I should design a program for myself so that I'm using resistance that's going to actually stress me and give me the opportunity to adapt and get stronger. And then I have to plan my recovery time and my recovery styles and all that kind of within that. Right. Yeah, I think the, the one of the important concepts when we think about this is when you do exercise, when you train, your body needs material to break down into energy to fun, to fuel that training. But then the second part of it is if you if your body's going to build new muscle mass, actually like increase the amount of muscle that you have, it needs materials. And by materials, you know, we're talking about proteins and amino acids, that kind of stuff. And then also a surplus of energy in order to build new muscle, right? And so, yeah, like you said, like if you're just trying to get stronger without really gaining much in the way of mass, then you want to keep a very stable diet, like a very stable nutrition plan that doesn't have a, a ton of surplus calories um, because you're mostly... In, in, in a large part, you're focusing a lot on improving the neuromuscular function with minimal increase in muscle mass. If I wanted to increase my muscle mass, I have to increase the amount of fuel that I'm taking in and, and making sure that I'm getting enough protein in general terms, but then also just enough calories in general so that there is a surplus of material and energy to build new muscle. And likewise, like if I, if I want to lose some mass, I have to decrease my calorie count and, and be burning more than I'm taking in. Yeah, something like that, right? And just a quick note on quality. If you want to gain weight, right? If you're in that, in those circumstances where you feel like, well, I need to gain some weight in order to be at my best, then just keep in mind that it does matter what kind of energy you put into your body, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and it, it does matter that you're giving yourself all the vitamins and the minerals and the nutrients that you need to go along with the proteins and the amino acids and the, the surplus of energy. So one of the things that I, that I see people struggle with over the years is they increase their caloric intake more than they have to in order to gain weight because the way that they increase their calories is let's call it kind of dirty right it's like oh i need more calories milkshake i'm gonna have a cheeseburger with some crappy bread and some cheap ingredients and it's like those things are really just giving you a caloric surplus and they're not necessarily actually giving your body all the energy and all the building blocks that it needs to do what you're asking it to do which is make good lean efficient quality muscle right right so you're getting the energy surplus but not the all the building materials that are needed yeah and if you do that then you'll probably gain weight 
it just won't all be good weight. It won't be the weight that you want it to be. And this happens on the other side of the spectrum also. If you need to lose weight, right, then you have to look at what you cut out and what you leave in. You have to keep in the essential building blocks for life. You have to keep in all the good stuff, okay? You can't just cut out, you know, whatever you feel like cutting out. Right. Absolutely. So that's just a very general overview. And look, I mean, everybody, and this is an important thing to keep in mind for the whole episode and everything we say today is that your situation is unique. And we are not at this moment talking about your situation specifically. You know, this is a general guide to give you an understanding. It's a a starting point for your journey in, in improving your tennis performance. Uh, not a prescriptive approach, and so just keep that in mind. That that like, look, these are these are just the general kind of rules of the universe when it comes to nutrition. But your your situation is going to be different from other people's and unique. And your training and your and your nutrition and your recovering, all these things tie together, and and they all impact each other. And so, you know, just please keep that in mind when when you are taking this information and trying to apply it or do something useful with it. And so with that in mind, if we if we start looking at how getting stronger directly impacts tennis performance, and we touched on this in the last episode, uh, but I think it's also important just to, to quickly um, maybe talk about a few aspects of it that we didn't talk about. Because one of the things that it does is increase stability, which is something that we, we touched on in the last episode. You know, if I have I get in a position to hit a tennis stroke, let's say it might be a lunge position for a low backhand, and then I start applying a lot of torque because I'm hitting a rotational ground stroke. Um, I have to be strong enough to appropriately resist those those torque forces to maintain stability, right? I mean, to not lose my balance and fall over sideways because I'm, I'm swinging things around my body. And that requires a certain amount of strength. So getting stronger will increase my ability to remain stable during a tennis stroke. Yes, That's and, one and, aspect of it. And we really mean stability across different systems. It's not just can I keep my balance where I'm not falling over with my feet. Um, but like for me, this goes, uh, wow, this goes back a long time, I guess, almost like 15 years. But I was struggling with some stuff with my forehand. And when I finally went through an assessment to try and actually figure out what was going on, it, I realized, man, like my whole right shoulder had become unstable. Right. And yeah. I, I just like I was able to do a swing, but I wasn't able to hit balls consistently the way that it felt like I should have. And that was literally because my shoulder had become destabilized and I didn't have the strength in it that I once did. And so mm-hmm. I wasn't able to reproduce my stroke and do it again and again and again. So every now and then I'd hit a great one. A lot of times I'd hit some really bad ones. And ultimately I was just really frustrated and felt like, man, like I shouldn't be missing that. I right. Because feel you like feel like you, head you were what was going on. Right. You feel like, oh, I am balanced and I have a consistent stroke. Why am I shanking balls or why am I mishitting stuff? And if your shoulder's not stable, then you're not going to put the racket where it needs to be over and over and over again. So that's, that's yeah, a very, and, very good point. I mean, stability takes many different forms. It's only off by, I mean, you're talking millimeters, right? So it wasn't something that I could see or it wasn't something that like, um, you know, one of my friends who was a coach could just look at and say, oh, this is what's wrong with you. It was very much like we had to go to the gym and do an assessment. And then I realized like, wow, I can't do a push up on an unstable surface. Like literally. 
Yeah, um, you could do a push-up if, if you, you put everything on a flat surface, you could do a push-up fine, but all of a sudden you throw a stability ball in the mix. Uh, oh, and I was and, just and, absolutely yeah. toast. And the right. cool thing is the fix was really quick, right? Because it only took like, it didn't take very long at all to get some basic stability in there. And the system kind of like snapped on. And all of a sudden I went back out to hit and I was more consistent, just like that. Right, so, yeah. Sometimes we've done a lot of the work, but we need to put the final pieces together in order to get the result that we're looking for. Absolutely, absolutely. And so the second thing that, that getting stronger does for us is it allows us to accelerate the racket more quickly. Because look, if I get stronger, I have an improved ability to apply forces to external objects. You think about, you know, like if I put a big rock in front of you, the, you know, the stronger you are, the faster and harder you can push the rock. Uh, and the racket's no different. So if I get stronger, I can swing the racket faster. And more racket hit speed means I'm going to hit uh, a harder shot or get more spin. It just means more of everything. So that's, <laughs> that's the second facet where it impacts performance. And then what's the third, Jake? Well, the other way that we think about it is... As I get stronger, it becomes easier for me to move my body more quickly, hmm. like my actual body. So not the racket, but my own arm, my own hand, my own leg, my own foot, etc. Your whole whole body too. I mean, you can jump higher, right? Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, well, I should say if you if you're let me let me clarify that a little bit. Like if if your legs are stronger, if your posterior chain is stronger, you should be able to jump higher. Yeah, if, if we get, get if we get specific enough with it, then you could you know you can jump higher. And that's kind of the point, right? Is this is where just take a look at how you're thinking about this, right? What is actually going to help you win more tennis matches? And then look at what you're doing in the gym. Right. If you feel like, man, like if I could jump higher, my serve would be better. People couldn't lob me. And I would, you know, I come to net all the time. I would definitely win more matches. And then your idea of working out in the gym is running on the treadmill and not doing any other kind of training that's going to actually specifically address that. Then you've got a disconnect that you're going to want to take a look at. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely key because we get in different positions and and then we I mean tennis is such a a varied sport and we we have to perform so many different movements with our bodies and there's opportunities for improvement and gain in so many different areas. So you you, you gave the example of improving your stability in your shoulder which was effectively making the stabilizing muscles around your shoulder stronger and, and gaining strength in a very specific area improved your forehand. Just like if you are, let's say that you are slow to turn. Like if I run out to my right and I hit a forehand and then my, my first movement to recover is slow. I mean, I can train that, not just, not just improve the technique of the footwork, which would be analogous to improving my squat. I can also train the muscle groups and the neuromuscular part of that in the gym with specific movements that might involve, you know, lunges and squats and other movements that will improve my aspect of that part of tennis. I mean, when, when we, when we look at the, the areas where we might be struggling on the court, in many cases, there is strength training work that we can be doing that can address those problems or that we can 
maybe make something that's already strong even stronger or make something we already do well make us do it even better and that's ultimately the goal when when it comes to strength and conditioning obviously we talk about when can strength training make you win more matches when it improves your performance and there's a lot of opportunities for that to happen in the gym yeah now you're really getting to the stuff that i get really excited about well, I think we should stop there then. Cause That's going to have to be for another time, right? Uh, because otherwise, otherwise we, we would start to get into the hours and hours and hours of conversations that we usually well, and, don't record. And we will get into those hours and hours of conversations uh, just next time. Well, at least maybe one hour of that conversation next time. But uh, that's, that's where we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, if you have any questions you want to reach out to us and engage us on any of this you've got multiple avenues to do so you can send us each an email I'm Glenn at TacticalTennis.com I'm Jacob at TacticalTennis.com what are some other avenues Glenn? well there is uh, Facebook (laughs) I'm sure you've heard of it the Book of Faces you can reach us there Uh, you can send us direct message on Facebook or uh, leave us a comment Uh, if you do follow slash like us you know you'll get access to some content there and we do post there occasionally and we'll be posting some more in the near future Um, that's one way you can do it you can also reach us on Twitter Jacob what's what's the the... we are at tactical.tennis and you specifically are wait 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 tactical.tennis Sorry, Tactical Tennis. At okay. Tactical Tennis. At Tactical Tennis. Don't listen to him, he's crazy. At Tactical Tennis, and I'm at Glenn S. Hill. And then also on Instagram, you can follow us at Tactical at Tennis. At Tactical Tennis. And just for the record, the dots get ignored, so it would still get there. Well, that's not the point. So anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, we love this stuff. Like, we are super engaged. We, we love the sport. We love... I mean, honestly, we love every aspect of it. That's part of what makes the game so fascinating for us and why we have chosen to make this such a passion for us. So don't be shy about reaching out and asking a question or engaging in some way. And look, even if it's criticism, we welcome that too because one of the big things that we've always believed is in just in getting better and finding a better way to do things. That's the question that drives everything we do on the tennis court is constantly questioning is there a better way to do things and i i I hope that our podcasts have gotten better with time we've certainly tried to make them better with time and if you've got a a feedback for us that would help us do a better job then we're all ears uh you know you can also just message us and say nice things too i I never mind a a good compliment um i only uh, like to i really only like to hear the bad stuff and i'm not kidding so send me all your criticisms please and send the nice stuff tell tell them the bad stuff and And we'll all be happy (laughs) we'll all be happy Um, and then last but not least if you haven't already just uh, pop on your podcasting app of choice and rate the podcast Uh, that that does help us grow our listening base so on that note stay safe and, and we'll catch you soon